Well, let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your amazing grace, for your love that is so true and so real. May we never doubt your love, for it is more certain than anything we could ever know on this earth. May we walk in, your, walk in faith, praise you for your grace, worship you each day in our heart and lives. Thank you for this morning and all that we've been able to do in worship and in the baptism. May it all bring glory to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, The Island of Dr. Moreau is a science fiction novel by H.G. Wells, but in this story, the main character does not travel through time or fight aliens like in the book uh, The Time Machine or The War of the Worlds that H.G. Wells wrote. Rather, the protagonist finds himself shipwrecked on a mysterious tropical island under the iron control of Dr. Moreau. The brilliant scientist has created a monstrous human animals, giving wolves, pigs, bulls, and other creatures the rudiments of human appearance, personality, and abilities. Yet at the heart of they're still animals. And Moreau keeps them in line through constant repetition of the law, a long series of commands that they're to chant daily. Not to go on all fours, that is the law, are we not men? Not to eat fish or flesh, that is the law, are we not men? Not to claw the bark of trees, that is the law, are we not men? Not to chase other men, that is the law, are we not men? Does the law work? Can it curb the animal instinct? Yes and no. It restrains them during the day, but at night the animal nature rises. The narrator observes that the law battled in their minds with the deep-seated, ever-rebellious cravings of their animal natures. This law they were ever repeating, I found, said the narrator, and ever breaking. What we find is that we may know the law, uphold the law, talking about God's law, but never truly live up to the law. When you step back from the book of Romans and look at the larger picture, you see the main theme is the righteousness of Christ. This righteousness is our right standing before God. It's our ability to be in the presence of God. It's about relationship. God created humanity to live in relationship with Him. We are designed by the Creator to live in the presence of God. But to live in the presence of God is no small thing. It's very dangerous to stand in the presence of God without righteousness without Christ's righteousness. If you have no righteousness, then you will not be able to stand in the presence of God. God created us to be righteous. That is the image He wanted us to have. Righteousness is not a title, but a character in which we live, a lifestyle. It is revealed in what we say and how we act. When Adam and his wife Eve sinned, they lost their place in, in the garden. They were kicked out. Their relationship with God was broken because of sin. They could no longer stand in the presence of God. God separated himself from them or they would die. God did not abandon his people, though. God was still present, but it was different. If we are created and designed to know God, but sin keeps us from knowing him, then the life we live will be incomplete, difficult, violent, deadly, and tumultuous because we're apart from God. The life we live will be a struggle because what we were designed to be will not happen. 
It will not happen on our own. We will have this emptiness within us, and we won't know how to get rid of it. Reality will be chaos, and chaos will be considered good. Righteousness will be disparaged, waywardness normal, immorality celebrated, good becomes evil, and evil becomes good. Without God as a people, we are truly lost, wandering around in the dark, hoping to find our way. But God loves you so deeply, and truly, He wants you found. If we, again, if we had a glimpse of just how much God truly loved us, it would change the world. His love is that wonderful. God loves you so deeply. He wants you found. He loves you. And now, and you now love if, God, if you have repented of your sins, come to Him, and now you love because He first loved you. Jesus, when he came to earth, this is what he said in Luke 19, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He has come to find you. He's come to find me. When he finds you, he heals you, he saves you. When you are saved, he calls you righteous. He changes your status and character. He makes it so you can stand in his presence through God and your faith in him. You have a right standing with God. We call this justification. As you are justified, you're regenerated. You're born again. You're a new creation. You're no longer the person you once were. You're then adopted into his family. You're called and made holy. We call this sanctification. Sanctification is Christ living his life in you. You're called by God to serve him. You're loved and filled with love so much that you can't help but love God and love others. When you're found by God, saved by God, you're forgiven, accepted, received into His presence, and one day you will stand before the awesome, holy God, and you will cry out and sing in that heavenly choir, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Because of God through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will function and act in according to the way God designed you and created you. The righteousness, of God is, the righteousness that God is offering to all is needed and necessary because sin right now is our master. Sin acts like an immune system. Acts like an immune system. When righteousness comes near, sin reacts and desires to fight it. It will fight it off. Sin wants to keep you sick and keep you dead in sin. Sin will fight off Christ, fight off life and life of righteousness. It's an immune system against what is good. We need a new immune system, a new life, a new way of living. We need Christ. Only in Him will we be free and walk in that newness of life. So I challenge us today, live the new life. Live the new life. Recognize your need, and your need is Christ. Most of us do not realize that we need the new life. If you talk to people, yes, and what they need, we all need Christ. All people do not think they need the righteousness that Paul is talking about here. Most people will think, well, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good guy. You know, you compare me with someone else. I bet you I'm much better than that guy over there, right? Most people think they're good enough. To be good, though, you have to be good enough. If you don't even know the standard, then how can you adequately argue and gauge how good you are? 
How can you do that? Because God is our creator, he's the only one who truly knows what we need. And it is important to recognize that God is creator. We have to start there. God is the creator. To deny our creator is really to deny ourselves. Paul began this letter telling us that God is our creator. In Romans 1, turn with me briefly to Romans 1, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. We suppress the truth, and the truth that we suppress is that, God, you're not the creator. His revelation of who he is is denied and rejected, and because of that, we have become fools and foolish. We are lost in the quagmire of us trying to create a reality while denying the reality that we live in. As we continue our study of Romans, we see that apart from God, we're lost and filled with sin. There are none righteous, Paul said in Romans 3. But in Christ, by faith, we are all justified as a gift by God's grace. We're now justified, declared righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. Law cannot save you. No amount of effort in the employment of good works will ever get you to where you need to be. But praise be to God and our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, who has saved us and made us righteous through Him. So live the new life. Live out your calling. In Christ, in, in ourselves we're lost, but in Christ we're found. In Christ we're saved. In Christ is God's amazing and undeniable love. So live out the new life. Number one, you must die to your old self. Let's take a look at going back to Romans 7, verses, start with verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he's living. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she's joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Paul is a Pharisee. He knew the law. He knew the law very well. He was an expert in the law of the Old Testament. When he was a Pharisee, he was meticulous in obeying the Old Testament law and observing it. He lived his life with great precision and was very careful in what he did. He said that when it came to obeying the law, he was found blameless, you know, at least in his eyes. He was found blameless. Now, he said when, or when speaking of the law, you have the Ten Commandments. The civil law and the ceremonial law, those are the, the laws of the Old Testament. The ceremonial law talks about the sacrifices necessary for forgiveness. When Christ came, he, asked, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Of course, we all know our memory verse, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You know, kind of messed it up, but that's the gist of it. 
and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second law. So loving God is the foundation of the law. When you love God, you will by nature love others. When you read Matthew 5, this is Jesus' commentary on the Ten Commandments, you find how impossible it is to live up to the law. You will never do it. Before we have even spoken or even acted, we've already violated the law in our head, in our minds. I've already broken it. We have broken the law in our thoughts and our hearts. You are already guilty. James says in the book of James 2, it says, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point has, been, has become guilty of all. You've broken it all. You just did one. You broke one. You've broken it all. This means if you say, I'll live by the law, if I just do the Ten Commandments, you would have to fulfill that law in your mind, in your heart, in your actions, in your words, every day, every second of the day, and who can do that? You won't be able to do that. The law invites condemnation. Based on the law, you cannot become righteous. The unrighteousness exists in your heart, so you cannot become righteous. An unrighteous heart cannot produce a righteous life. Paul understood the law as the pinnacle and foundation of righteousness. It has to be because it came from God, and whatever God gives us is righteous and good. It did not originate with us. However, the law has no power over the human heart. The law can show what is right. It cannot make you do right. That is why we can now, through Christ, live the new life, for His life is lived in us. So live that new life. First observation, the consequence of the law cannot be removed by you. God is the creator, and he created you and me to live a certain way. We are designed to function in a certain way. He created you to live a certain way. And when you look at our culture and our world environment, you see violence, you see death, you see division, you see conflict. We seem to always be in conflict. We see greed and we see evil abound. This is not the way we were designed by God to live. We need a more excellent way. We have a more excellent way. We are we're to live righteously. That is the way God designed us. Because we are not living righteously, we are held in judgment based on the law of righteousness. He's saying, this is how I designed you, and you're not living this way. You are being judged on that. Paul here in the text illustrates our lives are married to the law. You are bound by the rules of the law that you were created to live, and because you're not living according to your design, you're condemned, you're judged, and you're lost. You're bound by the law as a woman is bound to her husband. A woman cannot just say, I'll leave my husband and go marry another because according to the law, that makes the woman an adulteress. The point Paul is trying to make here is that if we are the woman and we decide to say, I will no longer live by the rule of the law, and it can no longer condemn me. I free myself from whatever God has said. I mean, people say that all the time, but that's not true. You can't do that. You cannot on your own remove the consequences of the law. You cannot by declaration say, I'm walking away from what God designed me to do from the law itself. 
to be like me, declaring, I am no longer bound by the laws of the city of Evanston, the state of Wyoming, and the laws of the United States of America. I could, I could say that all day long, right? And it would mean absolutely nothing. They're just words. My words do not have that kind of power. All it proves is that I'm a lawbreaker, and eventually I'll end up in jail. Paul then, in his illustration, points out that if the husband dies, then the woman is to be released or freed from the law concerning her husband. Then she is free to marry another. The question is, how do we become free from the law that condemns us? In the illustration that Paul makes, he says, if the husband dies, the woman is free. But look at verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law. The law, the husband, does not die. We die. The law didn't die, but we're to die. In order to be free from the consequences of the law, you have to die to self. Not a physical death, but death to self. Death to sin. Death to your unrighteousness. Death to your selfishness. Death to living contrary to how you were designed. How do you die to self? You see it spelled out in verse 4. Therefore, brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ. You see, you, you died with Christ on the cross. Your sins were taken to the cross, and you died with Him. Christ's death is your death. In Galatians, Paul put it this way, Galatians 2. I have been crucified with Christ... And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I have been crucified with Christ. I went to the cross with Christ and I died. Paul wrote something similar. If you look at chapter 6 real quick, verse 5, it says, For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Because Christ died on the cross and I died with Him, then I also rise with Him to a new life. I'm a new creation. This is what is called repentance. You have traveled to the cross. You put your sinful, selfish self and watched it die, for it has no place for you to live. Because you died, you're now free from the consequences of the law. You're no longer condemned. You're now joined to Christ, the one who defeated death, and now you will live according to the design that God created you to be in the first place. The DNA of unrighteousness that can only produce unrighteousness has been removed and replaced with the DNA of Christ that now produces righteousness. I trust Christ to produce the righteousness I need. This is the life for you. This is the life God has for you. Let us show the world a more excellent way and live the new life. Number two, understand the power that drives sin. Let's look at verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passion which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. 
But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. Robert Cialdini, I think his name, I wish you would just give me names I could pronounce, you know. <laughs> He's a researcher and an expert on the theory of persuasion, conducted an experiment at the Petrified Forest National Park in Arizona. The park had a problem as it made a clear of a warning sign that it had put up. This is the warning sign that it says. It says, your heritage is being vandalized every day by theft. Losses of petrified wood of 14 tons a year, mostly a small piece at a time. Basically, people were saying, hey, I think I'll put that and take that with me and put that in my pocket and walk away. Whatever. Well, the sign plainly appealed to the visitor's sense of moral outrage. Uh, the researcher, that's his name, wanted to know if this appeal was, so, was effective, so he and some colleagues ran an experiment. They seeded various trails throughout the forest with loose pieces of petrified wood ready for the stealing. On some trails, they posted a sign warning not to steal. Other trails got no sign. The result? Probably already know. The trails with the warning sign had nearly three times more theft than the trails with no signs. You will not tell me what to do. <laughs> Sin is driven, number one, by desires. The human heart is filled with desires, and our desires are focused on self and not others. It's all about what I can get, what I can gain, what's best for me. Our desires are deceitful. The greatest desire we have is not to obey God and to live contrary to His Word. In Genesis 1, there's a phrase repeated seven times. Uh, other things than that. God saw that it was good, right? Seven times. And the last time, verse 131, it says God saw that it was very good. And God, is, what is he doing there? He is evaluating his creation. His creation is pleasing him. Uh, he is pleased by his creation because it's turning out just the way he wanted it to turn out. God saw that it was good. And he has every right to evaluate his creation. It's just like when you barbecue a steak and you you know, and you step back after you take your masterpiece off that, the grill and you, and you look at it and you marvel at it and you say, oh, it is good. You know, and you haven't even tasted it yet, but you know, oh, it is good. You know, God created the heavens and the earth and he was pleased. It's interesting, though, if you go to Genesis 3, 6, 3 verse 6, you read this as the enemy is, or as the snake is tempting the woman, it says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she saw that it was good. She's making that statement that you read in Genesis 1. She saw that it was good. Now, this is the sin that we do all the time. We do it without thinking. We do it instinctively. Well, what is that? We will evaluate God's creation apart from God's Word, basing our evaluation on our desires. So we will take the authority of God's Word, throw it out, and say, my desires is the authority. That's the authority. And I will live my life based on that. And then we wonder why our world has gone to hell. When you live like this, it will always lead to unrighteousness that is so prevalent today. In some cases, it's outright chaos because basically you're living contrary to what God designed you to be, and it doesn't ever end well. It always ends in death. 
As Paul looked at the law before coming to Christ, he realized he had no ability, no true ability to overcome the sin in his heart. In 7.5, he said that the law did not stop his sinful passions from driving his life. In fact, it was the law that woke up the sinful passions in his heart. And it produced death. Counter this verse with the verse 4, and you see that in crowd, through Christ, we bear fruit under God. Verse 4, we bear fruit uh, for God. But in verse 5, with the sinful passion and the unrepentant heart, we bear fruit for death. The desire within us has to die, has to be removed, and has to be replaced. The desires we have that drive our sin to obey its deceitfulness cannot be stopped by the law, but only by Christ. There is no power within us to stop the power of sin. There is no uh, willpower, no white-knuckling it, nothing to stop the force that is greater than us. And we have to recognize this. It is greater than me. The unrighteousness churning within us has to be removed and replaced. And Christ is doing that, can do that, and will do that. Paul writes that since we have died in Christ and to the law, the law cannot condemn. But since we died, we have now been raised. This resurrection is the new life. The Holy Spirit has made us alive. We read something similar in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Isn't that beautiful? We were dead. And God says, I will make you alive. I will breathe life into you. But to live, you have to die, and to die, you have to repent of your sins before the living Lord Jesus, and He will forgive you. And when you get up off your knees, you are walking in the newness of life filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the oldness of the letter cannot, can no longer condemn or judge you. But if the law is what set off my sin, is the law then sin? Of course, Paul always says, may it never be. With great emphasis, may it never be. No, the law is good and righteous. It is it is the sin in me that makes me unrighteous. When the law is read and I do not hear, then, and when I do hear the law, it raises and rises up my sin within me. The law brings to life my rebellion of God and my enmity toward Him. So when I hear what God says in my heart and my sin, I am compelled to say, God cannot be right. I will live my life the way I want to live my life. Then you enter into foolish talk. You see this attitude in politics a lot, especially if one party says, no matter, says something. And it doesn't matter if it's right or good. The other party will say, well, we won't acknowledge that because you said it. And you see that all the time, you know. Well, they said it. We can't acknowledge that. A few decades ago, you had a push to have all the Ten Commandments removed from the public square because it was said that the state was endorsing religion. This was mostly done by atheistic groups. Let's say you want the schools to have the Ten Commandments placed in the schools. Well, we can't have that. And see, it becomes foolish because then you say, well, God forbid we tell students not to murder, steal, lie, covet, and commit adultery. Don't tell them that. Or recently, we've been seeing boys claiming to be girls, and then they commit assault against other girls, and the boy's protected, and the girl is condemned. A bill came out recently that it said if a child survives an abortion, then the doctor has to do whatever they can to help the child live. That was considered extremist by some. 
Helping a child live is an extremist position? This is the foolishness we have descended into because we have denied God cannot be right. His word must be denied. The rebellion in our heart toward God is seen clearly in how the culture acts. No one cares for authority over them telling them what to do. Then do you realize God is the highest authority and thus any rebellion against authority tends to be a really a rebellion against God. God's word speaks and is immediately challenged. The Bible is the most challenged and scrutinized book there is in this country, in this world. It is banned in countries. It's banned in schools. Take it to your school if you're a teacher and start reading it out loud, and you will be kicked out. (laughs) It's the most challenged book. It's banned in schools and businesses. It's challenged in the university. It's rejected in the public square. The sin in the heart of humanity is full of rebellion against God. And so his law is rejected. This is why we need the new life, so we can show the world a more excellent way, and we can say to them, let me show you the beauty of who Christ is. Number three, acknowledge your inability. Let's look at verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Therefore, did that which is good because of, become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful." As you read these verses, you see why repentance is necessary. The culture draws us away from God. Society coerces us to follow our own heart. And even our own heart dictates that we are not to listen to any authority, only self. There is no help to break free from the tyranny of sin. There is no method or social path that will bring you out of sin, a sin-filled prison. Paul here specifically says that when, you, that when he did not know or hear the law, he did not know he was a sinner. He did not know the unrighteousness in his heart. But when he heard the law, sin was revealed. The stark contrast between good and bad emerged. But more importantly, what he also realized is his inability to overcome the sin in his own heart. Sin in his heart came alive when the law was revealed, when truth and righteousness was heard. The sin, this sin saw the boundaries of the law, the authority of the law, but immediately rejected it because that's what sin do. It acts like an immune system when righteousness comes too close. <laughs> Get rid of it. The law which is righteousness is life, but sin produces death. Sin saw law, challenged its authority, saying, You will not die, but for God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when we hear this, we follow our heart into death. Don't follow your heart. Follow Christ. The heart of our soul is damaged and defeated by sin. Sin has its firm grasp on it, on our heart. So we must take our soul and our lives and say, God, Christ, Give me a new life. I need a new heart. I need you. We must submit to him, humbly come to him, then we will be given that new life. 
and we will live that new life. So number one, humble yourself. Humble yourself. What these verses tell us is that God has described to us what righteousness looks like. The law is righteous. What we, what we see from the law is the burden of trying to fulfill it. This proves that we're not righteous. Or it would be not a problem to do what he said to do. We would just do it. But the standard of good and what is right proves we are not. Again, this shows us that we're not living according to the design God created us to be. God created us in a way to live. And if I were to create a machine, let's say I created a machine, I wanted to create a machine that folded your laundry and put it away, you know, wouldn't that be a wonderful machine? I mean, I'd be a billionaire overnight, you know that? <laughs> but instead, this machine, all it did was tear up your clothes and make a mess, then either I would try to fix the machine or scrap the idea. If it does not work according to the design I created it, it becomes worthless. But it is a machine made up of bolts and screws and gears. We were created by God who loves us. He does not scrap us. He did not give up on us. Instead, he saw we were broken and falling apart. He sent Christ, and then Christ on the cross, he began to heal us. He has fixed and repaired us through Christ. He has taken away the very thing that keeps us from enjoying the righteousness that he has for us. He designed us to know this righteousness. As a people who are sinful, we hear the law and immediately we challenge it. We do not want to obey God because we're deceitfully told that to follow after God means I lose my freedom. Sin in our hearts will redefine truth. We will be led to think that we're following what is true, but instead we'll be following a lie. God is truth. God is love. God is holy. God is freedom. God is our creator. God is wisdom. God is just. God is righteous. God is light. God is new life. As Paul is writing this letter and talking about the law, he points out that the law, although good, has no power to make us good. It can only show us what is good. Secondly, Paul shows that the law can only prove to us that we are not good, that we are not living according to the design God created us to be. The law does not make me righteous. It proves I'm a sinner. But Christ, he makes me right. It proves that I need help. I need a Savior. I need Christ. I need Christ to die on the cross and rise again. I need a new heart. I need strength to live. I need a heart that can love. I need a mouth that can praise. I need hands that can heal and feet that will go. I need Christ. I go to Christ and say, everything I do leads to condemnation. But in you, O oh Lord, and who you are and what you've done leads me to life, hope, and freedom. God is the highest authority, and to Him... I will bow my knees and worship and give him praise, and I will live the new life. Let us live the new life. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you that you have given us what we so desperately need. We need you. Fill us with your spirit. Walk with us each day. Strengthen us, Lord, as we deal with each temptation, with, with life itself. May your love flow through us so deeply, so powerfully, so wonderfully that the world will see you in us.